Well, Merry Christmas again, everyone. I want to uh, start off today by with a confession, a personal confession. <clears throat> I may have almost lied to my children this week. I, uh, when I decided uh, uh, that I was going to preach like 15 minutes-ish this morning so that we could all get out of here, and, and then uh, as I got to looking at this and thinking about that more and more, I thought, that's a mistake. <laughs> So, sorry, kids. <laughs> it, it might be a little bit longer than 15 minutes. It's, uh, we live in a culture that has really glorified, um, in some ways, family above this, right? So that my first thought was, I want to get back to my family, and I want to enjoy time with my family on Christmas morning instead of at church. <laughs> What's Christmas? Christmas is not about my family and me gathered around a tree, right? Christmas is about Jesus. And so here we are together, and I'm glad that you guys are uh, with us this morning. And uh, before we um, get into our passage today, I'm going to read from the book of Joel, which uh, is in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read from a passage that will sound familiar to you, not because um, probably you spend a ton of time in the book of Joel, but from the book of Acts, you will recognize this, okay? So this is uh, Joel chapter 2 and verses 28 through uh, the beginning of 32. And this is a prophecy given hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, right? Talking about uh, the coming of the day of the Lord and what it was going to be like. And so spoken into a context of hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, we have this passage right here from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Then the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That passage is familiar to us because Peter talks about it in Acts chapter two and says, that's now that's coming to pass. And so uh, I want to lay that out there kind of as a, a prelude to what we're going to be talking about in Luke chapter 2 this morning. But before we get to Luke chapter 2, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, again, we come to you uh, this morning giving you uh, great praise for what you've done in Jesus. I wasn't expecting him. I didn't deserve him. I wasn't even really hoping for him. I was kind of happy, I thought, being my own king, dead in my sins chained up really and you sent him into this world born as a baby who would grow up to be a perfectly obedient man fully man and yet fully God the son of God and the son of man and he went to the cross for me to pay the penalty for my sins and not only did you send him to Bethlehem a couple thousand years ago but you also sent him into my life into my heart 20-something years ago. And so I thank you for that, and I give you praise. And Father, this morning as we come to your word, we, uh, we can be easily distracted by the gifts that we got this morning or the gifts that we're going to get later in the day or uh, the excitement of family being in town and getting to be together and, and all of those sorts of things are exciting and those are good things. 
Uh, but may they not distract us this morning from the truth of your word and the importance of Christmas, which is not those things, but is Jesus Christ himself as a gift for us. And so I pray that you would help us to be focused this morning, zeroed in on what you have from your word for us. Father, we ask that you would work by your spirit, ask that you would be glorified and ask that you would speak through me and that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses uh, 25 through 35 this morning, Luke chapter 2. By the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible in front of you. Uh, grab that one and use it. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, you can have that one, take it with you, read it, mark it up, use it, and uh, that we're on page 857 if you're using that Bible in front of you this morning. I'm going to read uh, all of these verses today, and then we're going to kind of talk through just some specific points about it. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in 25, and we're going to finish in 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Remember we read about that? And it had had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May God bless the reading of his word. So we have here the story of Simeon. And uh, Simeon was a righteous and devout man. He was a Jewish man who knew God's law and he loved God and uh, and followed the law. He was a believer and he wasn't a perfect man, but he loved God. And that was evident in his life. And uh, you can see, as we read from the book of Joel, and it talks about uh, the Holy Spirit and how prominent the Holy Spirit would be when the day of the Lord would come. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was was kind of reserved for like the king or the high priest or certain rare situations like that, maybe the prophet or some, something like that, but certainly not for regular types like you and me, certainly not for regular types like Simeon. And here we have, in this passage, we have Simeon who's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's upon him, right? And he goes in the Spirit to the temple, and the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and communicated to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so this is a a unique thing that's going on, or rather it's a new thing that's happening in the life of Simeon. And so here you have Simeon. He's probably an older man, and uh, he was in the temple. He was righteous, and he was devout. And it says there he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. So he trusted in the Lord, and he looked to the Lord, and he was waiting on what God would, uh, when God would deliver the people of Israel. So he was waiting. 
He came in the Spirit to the temple, and, and Jesus' parents brought Jesus in to do for him according to the law, right? And, uh, and so Jesus was very young, eight days old probably, and, and they bring him to the temple and going to do those things, and Simeon sees him, and he recognizes right away, and he takes him up in his arms, right? He recognizes who Jesus is, and he realizes that God has fulfilled the promise that he gave to him, Simeon. He said, before you died, uh, before you die, you will see the Messiah. And so this is that being fulfilled in his life right there. And so he takes him up in his arms, verse 28, and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now I can die in peace because God has fulfilled his promise and I have seen the Messiah in my lifetime. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so Simeon understood the promises from the Old Testament about the Messiah, about the one who would deliver the nation of Israel and the the fact that it wouldn't be just deliverance for the nation of Israel, but in fact it would be deliverance for Gentiles also, that this promise would go to all people. And so he blesses God and he makes that pronouncement. And um, that's a powerful little passage. We're going to dig into that a little bit more in a second. But of course, Mary and Joseph hear this and they marvel. This is incredible what they're hearing about their baby, right? This is, this is amazing stuff. And so they, they marvel at what they hear and, and Simeon blessed them. And then he said some other stuff also. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. So there's going to be something special about this baby, not just those things that I said, not just this salvation, but there's going to be a response to him, a varied response. He's appointed for the fall and for the rising of many in the nation of Israel. And by the way, he'll be a sign that's opposed. And Mary, it'd be a sword that pierces into your own soul also. I don't know exactly what that part means, but it, it sure seems like it's kind of fulfilled at the cross when she's there and she's seeing her son be, be crucified and she would come to understand all of this kind of full circle. Jesus would speak to her from the cross. It seems like that, that's what he was talking about here. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's possible. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that's our passage that's kind of the story that goes on, and you're familiar with that. We, we read the Advent book nearly every year, and, and in our Advent book talks a lot about Simeon. There are a couple of pages there that talk about Simeon, talk about this story, and, and so we're familiar with what goes on there. But I, I just want to make a couple of uh, observations for us. And this, this brings you to your outline that you have in, uh, in your notes there. First of all, I want to point out that Simeon was waiting for the Lord. He was waiting for the Lord. We've, we've entitled our sermon today, Prepared for the Gift. And Simeon was prepared for the gift, wasn't he? He recognized it when he saw it. He joyfully received it. He praised God for it. He was prepared for that gift. And so uh, the first way he was prepared, the first indication is that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Look at verse 25 there. And Simeon, this man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for God's consolation because he knew of the history of Israel, right? He knew his Old Testament. He knew the history of his people. And so he knew uh, that, that uh, Israel was in need of deliverance, right? 
They, they were in trouble. They, they had received God's law. They were God's chosen people. They had received His law. They had received special covenants, special promises from God. And, uh, and how had they responded? They had responded in rebellion again and again and again. And God would send discipline. And then He would send greater judgment. And finally, He would send them a judgment so severe that they would be kicked out of the land, right? And so they were booted from the land and they were, they were sent uh, to uh, Babylonia. And they lived there for, for a period of time, some decades, 70 years. And then they came back into the land, right? But even when they came back into the land, they didn't really own the land. It wasn't really theirs. There was someone else in charge. And so um, they were still under God's wrath. They were still waiting for full deliverance from God. They were living back in Israel, but it wasn't quite right. Things weren't as they ought to be. And, and so Simeon was waiting for the full consolation, the full deliverance from God of the people of Israel. And into that context, right, where they were uh, going to be kicked out of the land, God had given them a promise. And it's a powerful promise. And it's from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And you're familiar with this also, where the Lord says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from all her sins. So there will come a time, God said, when you will be severely punished. And then there will come a time after that when you will receive comfort from God. And you'll be fully comforted. And so that's what Simeon was waiting for. It wasn't there yet. They lived in the land, but they weren't ruling the land. Rome was in charge. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So things weren't as they ought to be. And really this morning, things aren't as they ought to be now, are they? Not, not just, I'm not talking about Israel, but I'm talking about in our own hearts. Things are not right. It's the way we're born. That's what we started out with. Israel was governed by outside forces that would, that would use Israel for its own purposes. And likewise, we are born the same way. Sin rules in our hearts. And it twists our own wills, and it makes us its slave. Jesus said everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's the way we're born. Slaves to sin, ruled over by someone else, by something else. And the one who would come to Christ will begin to recognize his own need for consolation, for comfort from God. The person who is prepared for the gift of Christmas is the person who, like Simeon, knows the need for consolation and comfort from God. Comfort from sin, comfort from its dominion, comfort from its judgment, comfort from self-centeredness and self-worship. Not only is that person aware of the need for comfort, but he waits for that comfort. Wait on the Lord and look to Him for consolation. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, first of all, it means to look only to Him for comfort. We just finished a series in the book of James, and James talked about being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's a person who looks to the Lord, but then he kind of hedges his bets. Someone who's waiting on the Lord looks only to the Lord. It will be the Lord who delivers me from this or I will not be delivered from this. It means also to pray often and watch for God to deliver. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep asking God to deliver and watch for Him. It means to be patient 
for God's work in God's timing. Be patient and wait. And finally, it means to find peace in the God you are waiting on, not just in the comfort He's going to bring. You see that difference? We're to find peace in God Himself, not just in His promise of ultimate deliverance that He's going to deliver us, but find comfort in God Himself, in His presence, and in knowing Him. The one who's prepared for the gift of final consolation from God waits for it in these ways. And the one who's prepared for the gift will also learn that God keeps His promises. He will learn that God keeps His promises. The God of the Bible is is unique in that He sees the future. Not only does He see the future, He actually creates the future. He's in charge of it. He doesn't just possess knowledge about it. He possesses it to do with as He will. He's the master over the course of human history, and He's the master over human hearts. Because of that, He's able to deliver consolation uh, to His people Israel, even after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have passed. How comforting is it to serve a God who holds the future in His hand? It's, it's one thing to serve a God even who knows the future. But our God doesn't only know the future. He holds the future. That's comforting. God initiated His plan to deliver the nation of Israel. He initiated it long ago when He called Abram. You remember the Old Testament back in Genesis chapter 12? He called Abram, a man whose wife, by the way, was unable to bear children. Right, And he told Abram that he was uh, moving him and his family to a new land, first of all, and he was going to make of his offspring, of whom he had none, he was going to make of his offspring a great nation. And that nation would be a blessing to the whole world. But he didn't have any kids. And he said that from that, uh, from that nation, he was uh, not only going to bless them, but bless the whole world. And so he moves this family and this small family, Abram and his wife, and their miracle son, Isaac. He begins to do this and fulfill this promise of blessing the nations. He really did form them into a nation. This family, of this, this barren couple who couldn't have kids, and formed them into a nation, the nation of Israel. And to that nation, he gave the covenants, he gave the promises, he gave the law of God. They were the blessed and chosen people of God, and he was going to give them this land, he was going to use them to bless. And now in Simeon's day, God would include not only the nation of Israel, not only that family that he had turned into a nation, but he would include uh, the Gentiles also, the rest of the world. God's plan was that the Gentiles would now become fellow heirs, Paul says in Ephesians 3, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there are some things to to learn. The one who's prepared for God's gift will learn that salvation is in Christ. It's in Christ. It's not a gift that we get from God apart from Christ, apart from submitting to Him as Lord. It's not apart from taking all of Him as He really is and who He really is. You see, if you think about salvation, every sane person wants to be delivered from coming judgment. Right? Makes sense. Every person who can think 
wants to be delivered from coming judgment. But so often, they want it with no strings attached. Jesus, though, says, count the cost. He says, take my yoke upon you. It's not a no-strings-attached deal. Salvation is in Jesus. The one who's prepared for the gift of God's salvation will learn that, that it's found only in Jesus. Many want the gift, but they don't want the Jesus that comes with it. Or maybe they, they like some version of Jesus, like the one who preached love and forgiveness. Right? They like him, but they don't really want the Jesus of the Gospels who said some hard things like, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Or he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. They may not want anything to do with that Jesus. Or the Jesus who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the string. Today is Christmas, and it's a day that we celebrate by giving gifts, right? What would it be like if you loved the gift that you received from your loved one more than you loved that loved one? That's kind of hurtful, huh? If my wife gives me a gift and I'm so stoked about that gift, I'm more stoked about that gift than I am about her. Is that honoring to her? No, it's horrible. And we would never consider doing that in real life. And yet, when it comes to dealing with God, thinking about salvation and Jesus, how often do we do that? We want that deliverance. We don't really want the Jesus who brings that deliverance. Don't love the gift that he gives more than you love him. Don't seek the gift more than you seek Jesus. Seek him. Simeon rejoiced in Jesus. Because in him is salvation. When he was holding the baby Jesus in the temple, he exclaimed, My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the salvation. It's not just something that he hands out as if he were a vending machine or something. He is salvation. Some of us need to learn that salvation is in Christ. It's not apart from Christ. And finally, the one who is prepared for the gift of salvation needs to know the opposition and the controversy that Jesus brings. There's something to know. Did you catch the warning there that Simeon gave at the end? Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Christianity is not some innocuous and unverifiable spiritual teaching. It's not just religious or spiritual opinion. Christianity is bound up entirely in who Jesus is. And Jesus brought with him controversy. Not long after Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms here in the temple, Jesus and his parents would have to flee to Egypt because of Herod. Because Herod was sending uh, death squads to kill all the babies in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger, all the baby boys, to execute them. Because, why? Because that's where Jesus had been born. Jesus brings with him controversy. And during his lifetime as teaching, Jesus faced fierce opposition from the religious leaders of his day, didn't he? Anytime he would teach, there would be opposition from religious leaders. 
because they saw him, Jesus, as a threat to their power, as a threat to their position. Jesus brought opposition. They hated him enough that they arrested him and they ultimately had him executed, didn't they? Jesus brings opposition. And Jesus' followers in the book of Acts likewise faced growing opposition and persecution and even personal danger in their lives because they were followers of Jesus, because Jesus brings opposition. Sometimes that opposition was from the government. Sometimes it was from religious leaders. Sometimes it was from businessmen who didn't like how Jesus and his followers were affecting the bottom line. Remember the riot in Ephesus? That was started by a businessman. The one who would be prepared for God's gift for us at Christmas needs to know with Simeon that Jesus is a sign that is to be opposed. People will stand up against Jesus. So when we celebrate the baby born on this day, we need to remember he was opposed. He wasn't always loved. He wasn't always accepted. On the contrary. He also needs to know that there is a difference between Christianity and other religions. And there are many differences between Christianity and other religions. But Christianity is a matter of the heart, not just affiliation. It's a matter of what goes on in here. Being one of Jesus' followers involves not a national birth. You weren't born into it, right? It, uh, it's not about getting your name on a roll or on a roster somewhere. Being a follower of Jesus involves a conversion that happens in the heart. It means to follow Him and respond to Him from the heart. It means a loyalty to Him that is as deep as it goes from your heart. When Jesus shows up on the scene, you see this again and again in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and the stories that we hear in, uh, in the letters from the New Testament. When Jesus shows up, there is controversy. When Jesus is taught properly, there will be controversy and people will stand against him. And that means for you, Christian, that when you take him, there will be controversy in your life because of him. Jesus came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. The people who had been expecting him didn't receive him. You see, all of the Old Testament Jews liked the promise of the coming Messiah. can almost guarantee that every single one of them was super stoked about the coming of the Messiah, the one who would deliver the nation of Israel. And then he showed up on the scene. And all these people who were super excited, waiting for the coming of Messiah, Jesus shows up on the scene. His own people did not receive him. Remember that? They stood against him. They didn't, they didn't want him on his own terms. They didn't want him to show up as he really was. They didn't want him to show up with his agenda. They wanted to be delivered because every sane person wants to be delivered from judgment. But they didn't want Jesus. And so they didn't receive him. They didn't respond the way they should have. To, uh, to the Messiah, the actual showing up of the real, true Messiah, Jesus himself. And so that brings us to our fourth point. How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But as many as did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? Are you going to respond in worship 
and in praise, like Simeon did, recognizing that salvation from sin and judgment has come in the person of Jesus himself and praising God for that? Is that going to be your response? I hope that's your response. Are you going to respond like Mary and Joseph with wonder? When they heard what Simeon said, they marveled. They were amazed. They wondered. This is incredible what we're hearing. Or are we going to marvel at the truths that we learn about this baby boy we celebrate today? Are we going to respond like Mary and Joseph? Or maybe we're going to respond a little bit like Herod and those others who opposed Jesus. Maybe you're threatened by Jesus. Maybe, uh, maybe you're threatened by the fact that he wants all of you. Not just your Sunday mornings. Not just some gifts from your bank account. Not just some words that you speak. But he wants all of you. And maybe that's threatening to you. Maybe you like being on the throne yourself. That's, that's the way we're born. Wanting to be on the throne ourselves. Herod liked to be on the throne, didn't he? And he was willing to do literally anything. He was willing to murder baby boys so that he could stay on the throne. Are we, are we like Herod, willing to do anything to stay there? My prayer uh, for those of you who don't yet know Jesus is that you would, like Simeon, understand that in Jesus himself, your eyes have seen the salvation from sin and judgment that God promised long ago. In Jesus himself is that salvation, is that deliverance, is that consolation for Israel and that consolation for you. My prayer is that you would understand that that revelation, that, that, that you would trust in him, that you would become a member of God's people, that you would be like John says, that you would become one of his children. That's my prayer for you this morning. And that would be the ultimate Christmas gift, wouldn't it? That would be the greatest Christmas gift. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. And so as I, as I close in prayer, I pray that you'd think about these things, that you'd think about this Jesus, and you would think about what this consolation of Israel is really like, this consolation that God offers to you, that he offers on this Christmas morning in the person of his son, not apart from him, not just as a gift, but in his son. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you that you sent Jesus for me, and that uh, the story doesn't end with him as a little baby boy, and how cute, and that's sweet. The story ends with him uh, dying on the cross and for me, and it, it really doesn't end there either, because he was buried because he was really dead, and it really doesn't end there either, because you raised him on the third day, and he is with you that we might have newness of life. That's what Christmas means. Christmas points to Easter. And so, Lord, we, we praise you for that this morning. I praise you for that. I praise you that you sent your own son. I have a son. I have two sons. I wouldn't be willing to give them for someone else. And you gave him for us. And he was truly innocent where we are truly guilty and he was completely united with you. He was one with you and never had been out of fellowship with you. And 
we are born out of fellowship with you and we can't even comprehend what it's really like to, to walk with God. And you sent him to become one of us, to go to the cross. Lord, I pray for those who uh, don't know you yet. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak into their hearts even now, that you would open their eyes, that you would remove the blinders about what, uh, what Christmas is really about, that it's not just about uh, family and gifts and, and uh, time off and, and uh, uh, joy that this world can give and any of those other things. Those things are, are great. But it's about Jesus and salvation is in Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that they would take... Uh, Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, that they would submit to him, that they would give you all of their lives, that they would vacate the throne and give it to you, and that you would redeem them, that you would make them your own child, that you would reconcile them, that they would be in right relationship with you, that they would be ultimately forgiven of their sins, that they would be uh, delivered from that coming judgment. I pray that they would love you more than those gifts. So, Lord, we rejoice that we get to celebrate Christmas on a Sunday morning. What a great thing. Thank you that we get to be together, the children of God, worshiping you together even today. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen and Merry Christmas.